0: How hard is it to find and win grants? Because my view is that it's probably at least somewhat difficult and at least a little competitive. We're currently registered as a 501c4, but there are folks in my organization who are pushing to change to a 501c3 because then we can get grants. Like there's a magic grant fairy who will just shake lovely grants from the grant tree to shower us with free monies the moment our status changes.
1: I can't help but laugh because wouldn't we all love like a magic grant fairy? (laughs) There's a little
0: bit of snark in that question, don't you think? (laughs) There is, I appreciate that. But I so appreciate much. it.
1: I'm just sort of this just made me smile. So um, and yes, to the person who wrote in about this, grants are incredibly competitive. Um, one, you know, one of the most challenging parts of revenue generation, in my opinion, especially these days. I mean, um, ton of work, uh, very competitive, ton of time, right? With sometimes very little return, and it takes years. I also say, like when when the rest of the organization, if the rest of the organization isn't functioning well, grants again will suffer, right? Because if you don't have, um, you know, a, a decent board or a large enough board, if you don't have a strategic plan, if you don't have a budget and process for, you know, um dealing with operating reserves or having reserves in place, like all that stuff, there's a light that shines right on it for the for the funder and not to mention all the hoops you got to jump through for sometimes like $2500. It's ludicrous. But anyway, so I I guess I I tend to steer away. I mean, I think grants are an important part of any organization to at least consider if they're more of a kind of grant-centered organization because some, let's be honest, there are some types of nonprofits that are positioned better for private grants. There's some that are positioned better for government grants um, just by the nature of the work they do, and there's some that probably shouldn't touch grants at all because it, it, individual donors are just, you know, the soft spot given where they're going. I mean, so and you can diversify within your area of strength. So like one of the things that I'm going to go off on a tangent here, one of the things that drives me nuts is like this whole diversification of revenue. It doesn't mean that you have to diversify by like becoming great in another area. Like, oh, grants, we're going to be a 501c3 for grants. Like, diversity within your strength area. So if it's individuals then figure out how you get more and diversify your individual donor pool if that is your strength. Instead of trying to be all things is really difficult and there's articles out there that have shown this to be true too.
0: Yeah, the and the thing about grants too is that they're usually they're usually very specific to at least definitely with government grants. Government grants are always a very specific need. And if you're not already in that space, if what you're doing doesn't fit perfectly within the box that you're trying to get a grant for, you're not even close, you're not going to get it. And there are very few just like general grants, like we want to give some money to people doing things. So you have to make sure that the, you know, one, if you were really considering this, if you're, if this was a serious question about, we really want to consider this and not how do I shoot it down, which is <laughs> much easier. Um The you would want to identify exactly which grant opportunities your mission your organization supports. So in this case, it's a 501c4. And for those nonprofit everything listeners that um think you know that one of the things that we talk about, we talk about nonprofits, we just sort of automatically default when we say True. nonprofit everything, we mean 501c3, 509a1 178, right? We we should
1: make that. That should actually be disclosure at the beginning of our podcast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so for, for those of you that aren't really, don't just memorize tax code for fun, that's that there is like me. So we've got the, the non, when we say nonprofit that to the IRS, that's a very broad definition, which includes everybody who is allowed to make a little bit of money, like make a little bit of profit and not to have to pay federal tax on that profit so that's a that's a very broad group. So that's political action committees, that's groups that do lobbying, that's um, chambers of commerce, all kinds of other things like that, where this this whole broad thing that says you don't have to pay federal tax on any revenue or on any on any profit. the when we say when we say nonprofit, what we usually mean is public charity, yes. which is a very limited i mean, is like the most limited basket, which means that in addition to not having to pay federal tax on profit, you then get to give tax deductions. You make tax deductions available to people who are donating money to you. So anybody can take a donation. Like, so GoFundMe, for example, is a perfect example Mm -hmm. of like, I can give anybody a donation. You can't see my air quotes, but they're, you <laughs> they're, can hear they're my happening air quotes. here. Yes. So anybody can have a donation, but you can't get a tax deduction because somebody needs an operation. It has to go through an organization that's registered as a public charity. And that includes a whole bunch of extra additional information like the 990 and all this extra garbage. So not garbage, useful documentation. <laughs> so so if you're a 501c3, if you're 501c4, which is an organization that doesn't pay tax on profit but has unlimited ability to lobby, which is why you would probably select that one. A 501c4 is usually an organization that wants to elect somebody for a particular role or wants particular tax breaks to happen in a particular district and wants to be able to spend money to convince legislators to do what they want. So that's 501c4. That is not a public charity. That is not, that is, I mean, social good is the term that's used for 501c4, but it's really about lobbying. 501c3 is you have to have a mission that actually helps people and it has to be charitable. And that charitable mission has to be educational, religious, or helping somebody with basic needs. Right. So it has to be one of these very specific baskets. So you can't just convert from a 501 C3 to a 501 C4 to a C3 without doing a ton of extra work. And unless you can identify very specific grants, that are going to absolutely fund exactly the thing that you want to do, you're just going to I mean you basically you might as well just go flush 10,000 dollars down the toilet.
1: And you know the other caveat I would use, there are grants available to C4s, so I guess I just would also encourage you to do maybe you know if if grants are part of a future strategy which again be super careful what you ask for and get into but there are grants available to c4s just like there's small business grants for private corporations right so there there are grants available um but you really want to i think starting with some research on that um and really thinking long and hard this just feels a bit like cart before the horse to me it doesn't yeah doesn't feel good
0: Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit boards. Nonprofit management.
1: Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources.
0: The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit with
1: your host, Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Andy Schurrock, and we are bringing you another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Thanks so much for joining us. And some of you may have heard but we created our own phone number for this because, you know, we want to give you all the ways to get in contact with us and share your questions and your feedback. And so here's the number. So make sure you get a pen out or put this in your computer 702 94656 702 94656 uh if you're like us sometimes you're driving or you're multitasking or maybe you're going on a walk and getting some good activity and you're like I've got a question but you know I don't don't have a laptop in front of me or a phone in front of me to actually write something down so here you go now you've got the number to just call and leave us a voicemail. So thanks again. And uh, enjoy this episode.
0: So Stacy, I'm going to ask you this next question. Cause as, as I was just saying, I'm really curious to find out what, what you have to say about this one. I've recently noticed that one of our board members is liking and sharing social media posts that make me really uncomfortable. He's a rich white dude, so I'm not really all that surprised, but I'd like to think that at least some of our mission has rubbed off on him. Obviously, it would be career suicide to tweet back, Walter, knock it off with the all lives matter bull. But I'm also now having trouble taking him seriously in board meetings. Is keeping this guy on our board a danger to our organization or should I just quietly unfollow him?
1: Oh, I have such a heavy sigh with this, right? Oh, it's so awful. I actually think social media can be such a curse. Like people, people that I liked before, and then I see their social media posts, I go, yeah, you're off the list, right? Um, anyway. Okay, so a couple of a couple of thoughts. I actually think I'm gonna get to your questions, but I'm gonna take it a little bit from a larger standpoint. I think that you really need to tackle this. I don't know what your role is in the organization. I think that you would be doing your organization a disservice not to share this with the executive director or your supervisor or however your structure is. And hopefully that person then would, if it was the ED as an example, they would talk to their board chair about it. And here's why. Like maybe people don't realize he's doing this, but I mean, the honest to God truth is that when you serve on a board and you know, there's so many. I'm assuming this board member may also occasionally share posts from your organization, or you, I have no clue if this board member actually is connected online, showing like in his profile on social media that he's a board member of your organization. But we know that people can figure it out easy enough. And so, just like an employee is sort of always representing an organization outside of, you know, the actual workday, so is a board member. And so um, I've seen a lot of organizations struggle with this, especially with some of the civic unrest and political unrest over the last few years. And so one of the things that's starting to happen is is taking sort of if you have a social media policy for employees, actually taking that and adapting it for volunteers, or it's particularly volunteers in leadership positions like board members. And and talking about why you, as you, you as a board member want to reflect, you know, well at all times. Now, I also get there's free speech. Everyone has a right to their own beliefs and opinions. And so there's that piece of it. But I do think you take a responsibility when you're serving for the public good to realize you're wearing a lot of different hats. So, like I said, I think the industry is starting to look at this is creating problems. There's actually I've had a client before that has said that a donor saw what one of the key board members was posting and literally chose not to give to the organization. So it can impact the organization in a lot of different ways, um, whatever side of the fence you're on. And so um, you know, there's there's also ways to to sort of um, anyways, I just think sort of having that conversation as an organization about what's appropriate conduct and, you know, what's appropriate with social media and stuff and, and talking about it is sort of a starting place. And that really needs to happen, of course, like board leadership and a board chair needs to bring that up. In my opinion, um, you as an employee uh, are not going to be well served to, to go head to head with this board member who you can't stand. But like, but I also think that you have an obligation to share what you're seeing because if it's making you uncomfortable, it's making other people uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. this, This question came in like three weeks ago. And after I first read it, I think I've been, this has been bothering me. This like, this question has like seriously been keeping me awake. (laughs) And I think about like, what, what on earth are you going to do? So, you know, on, on one hand, like one of the things that I think is good about this, if I could come up with even just like a, even like the most tangentially positive thing to take away from this is that now, you know. Like you, if, if you didn't know before about this particular board member and, and his mental illness or whatever it is that's making him do this, now, you know, and depend and, and while, I don't know that Stacy, your, your, your idea for a, like a board social media policy, I, I think that's, I think that's smart but I'm wondering if if somebody who's doing this, if that would even if they would even think that applied to them. Because because the reason that you the reason that someone would respond this way, this would behave this way on social media, even if it's just retweets and likes and that kind of stuff, is because they're so either oblivious to <laughs> reality or or they just don't care. And they're, they're so, like, baked into whatever, you know, alternative reality media ecosystem that they're bathing in that they, they actually think that, like, because who at this point, like, literally, who at this point would ever, like, go with all lives matter without understanding the additional baggage that goes along with that sentence? I don't think I don't think you can do it accidentally at this point. I mean, unless like maybe Walter, I mean, if his name is not Walter, but you know, maybe Walter is 96, right? And and someone needs to explain to him why saying that is not polite or offensive or inaccurate or whatever <laughs> polite way you could say, knock it off, right? Just the way the same way you deal with your your grandmother, right? when she says crazy racist things. It's like grandma no no no. Like right you you have to have that same kind of conversation with this board member maybe. And it's you're right, it's going to be the board chair that's doing it. If this person is not senile or 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 just doesn't know better. If this person really does know better, I would find a way to get a different board member. But especially if especially if there's there's something if you're in some sort of social justice Organization or organization that's even tangentially related to a social justice organization. If you're doing something that, where where you need to be having these conversations because of the inequity of what you're you know you're trying to solve by serving what you're serving, um, if this person really believes this and is really like on board with that kind of nonsense, I think that's that's somebody you just don't want on your board. That's somebody that you want to figure out a way you know have the bank send you someone else. Have, you know whatever this person is like that's just not it's just not acceptable in 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 the organization that that we have and that's the conversation that I think the board chair should have with this person and and it should be you know i you know with my 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 instinct is probably the same as yours is like we need to have a policy <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, like what's the what's the first thing you do all of us put a policy right <laughs> but but beyond the policy someone needs to have an honest conversation with this guy um, and say look the, if 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 you're going to be doing this, it's going to be 100% reflecting badly on our organization. Like you signing the policy probably isn't enough um, of an incentive for you to change your behavior. Because if you're doing this, you're doing it intentionally. And if you're doing it intentionally, you're not welcome on our board.
1: So Andy, like you, this question really bothered me. And I was up at night thinking about it too. And I did, not only I did sort of my own gut check, but I also looked and did some research online because I'm a nerd like that. And I found some language in a policy that I do want to read because I think it's potentially something that our listeners could use. So um, a lot of, like I said, a lot of organizations are taking kind of their social media policies for employees and applying them to whatever they want to define it as to board members or to some level of volunteer that's, you know, active volunteers. And so, some language to potentially use. Ultimately, you are solely responsible for what you post online. Before creating online content, consider some of the risks and rewards that are involved. Keep in mind that any of your conduct that adversely affects XYZ organization, its clients, and its ability to secure the resources needed to fulfill its mission may result in XYZ consequences. So I honestly think, though, that it's not just like a policy that no one's going to listen to. Like, I think it really stems from a conversation and also being really clear with expectations up front, because I think a lot of board members don't I don't think they even think for for the most part about what they're posting on social media. Maybe that's a personal view. And I don't think they they think about the repercussions of that based on their board service so so to me i think there's like a really healthy dialogue especially in this day and age we're living in with social media being you know pretty everybody is on usually some sort of social media channel like talking about it talking about it so when there's a policy and you're looking to you know recruit new board members talking a bit about hey and just so you know we look at you i mean you're a representative of this organization I mean, I've worked with organizations to create a code of conduct for their board members because board members were, it wasn't even social media, but board members who um, get into legal matters in the community or uh, end up in really bad situations on the front page of the paper, like, and that organization has got to think about what do we do like in those situations and how do and here are the repercussions it's not just a policy no one's going to follow this is a policy where we're going to actively monitor it and if we notice you're breaching it there's going to be a conversation had and potentially you're going to lose your seat on the board like there's got to be consequences and i just i just really think I, I think that um organizations aren't many or not even thinking about this kind of stuff so i'm so grateful for this question because i think it's I think it's becoming a much hotter issue, hot button issue these days.
0: Yeah, and you know, and as as much as I'd like to think that that the hard line is the right way to go, I think I think you're right because inevitably someone is going to be in the opposite situation where where something that they post in social media, which which I would personally agree with, <laughs> which I think would be a smart thing to say or 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 an opinion to have, is going to uh, resonate the wrong way with the leadership of the organization that they might be a board member of. Um, So if you, you know, so you're the board member of a religious school and you said something that offended the people at the religious school, like is, am I okay then with that person getting kicked off that particular board because of their, their progressive views? And, and I, I, I think it's okay just because it's, it's a, you know, that's okay for that to be a two-way street. If, they, if the organization really is going to be successful, they're, they're going to need to have a diversity of opinion on the board anyway. And it's up to the rest of the board to decide where the line is drawn for diversity of opinion. Yes. So, you know, just because you, you know, you you want to have you want to have enough different voices on the board to be able to make your organization make the right decisions most of the time, or to think about things that you wouldn't necessarily be thinking about. Um, but you got to also be able to draw the line when people are just, you know, not good people. Like you, just because someone has money or works for a particular bank or something doesn't mean that they automatically get a, a seat on the board. If if as a person, that's not somebody that you're going to want to have to engage with um i i i don't know i it, this question is this question is horrific it, it just like there isn't a right answer i don't think no um i don't and i i i you know even with more you know a lot of times like if the question's hard we always kind of default back to like well we need more information like exactly <laughs> what's the role and on this one i don't think it matters i think this is just yeah. a really a really hard situation that i'm not i'm not sure what the answer is i would love to hear from from listeners um yes is who should we be talking to? Like who, who should come in to talk? Who can we call in as a guest expert on this particular thing that might be able to give us really good advice um, beyond obviously the advice, the good advice that Stacy's already given. I haven't given any good advice yet, Um, No. but I'd love to, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear your opinions on this. Like what would you do? (laughs) Like what, what are we, am I completely wrong to just think, yeah, you're gone. You're out of here, Walter. Sorry. We're just going to, Oh, we moved the board meeting during your nap time. I'm so sorry. (laughs)
1: I, you know, and Andy, and I do have to just, I do have to say this to go full circle. Like, I, I think there should be consequences, but I am just a believer. Like, I think about this with all like people, whether it's an HR issue with paid staff or whether it's a volunteer issue or board members. I think organizations need to be crystal clear on their expectations, what is and isn't acceptable. Sometimes we add to that list, right, when we find out new things that we didn't even think about in the first place, and that's okay. But like. I feel like there needs to be some sort of, um, I don't know, I call it a paper trail, but just philosophically saying we operate with the values that we're going to share with you, what it means to be a part of our organization and the values we operate under. And here's also what that means if that's not followed. Like, and I feel like, so to just go to, um, I mean, I think it's it's really poor judgment on this person's, this board member Walter's part to do this, but I also, I also think like, Like you said, Andy, I mean, maybe he's whatever. We don't know his background, but like maybe he's just oblivious. So like starting to have these conversations. So I definitely, I mean, the one thing I feel super confident about is not being being quiet about this. I do think this needs to be raised because it's something that you could actually you know, help protect your organization doing that. And, and to your point about is keeping the sky on the board a danger? It could be, right? It could be a danger to the organization, its reputation, potential donors or funders or people who want to get involved. It absolutely could be. So I think that um, it's imperative to kind of put it, you know, put it up the food chain and rise it up the food chain and see where it goes. We are looking to hire a consultant to develop some curriculum for one of our programs. One of our board members asked, who will own this material? As long as it gets produced and we can use it, I'm not sure I care or want to get caught up in discussions about ownership of this material. Is there something I'm missing or should be thinking of?
0: I think your board member has a point in this case. So think about, think about when, if you're an organization that has a logo on the letterhead. Um, that every time you needed to get more printing done, you needed to go back and pay somebody again to reuse your own logo. So those are the kinds of things where if you've got a professional designer or you've got somebody that's working on something for you, like like curriculum or something like that, that you're gonna wanna get, you're gonna wanna make sure that you're clear on how you're able to use that thing in the future. So So there's lots of ways you can go about that. And I think the contract phase is probably the right place to do that, is to go in and look and say, Like in this contract, does this allow me to just use this forever, or is there some sort of license, or or just like have that conversation with the person? Because the the person that's providing the content may be like, oh yeah, it's yours. It's work for hire. Because in a lot of cases, if you're paying somebody and they're on staff, that work belongs to the organization regardless of who they are. If it's a 1099, if you're actually paying somebody that's another company to do it, so in this case. You're going to hire a consultant. If you're they hiring it, yeah. If you're hiring them as a 1099, in many cases, they're going to own it because they're the ones that are doing it for their own their own work. And depending on what you're providing for them, they might want to resell that to other people. You might they might not be d- designing it directly for you. They might be designing it. Um, it's something that you're just leasing from them. So it's important to have that conversation up front. Um, in general, contracts, I think people, especially nonprofit folks, I've noticed, tend to be more nervous about contracts than they should be like oh we just you know let's just do it let's just figure it out like you want to do it we want to do it let's just go ahead and do it and a contract isn't as much as like sometimes you get them and they feel like somebody's trying to get you right they send a your contract and you're like wait a minute yeah <laughs> like what's this all in here for right but but what a contract really ought to be is just like what your agreement is in writing like what's the what are the boundaries just so that we're all clear on what it is ahead of time and all that like nonsense indemnification language that gets thrown in in boilerplate and stuff like that A lot of time you can have that stuff, you know, if it doesn't make sense or you don't like it, you can have an attorney just rip that stuff out because it doesn't mean a lot of times it doesn't mean anything anyway, or it's unenforceable. And it's just some gobbledygook that they downloaded from some website someplace.
1: And I will share from private experience, and it's not this obviously specific example, but um, another reason to maybe have um, an attorney look at this when you do have a contract in place or agreement with all of this outlined um, several years ago, I went through this same issue with my company and with uh, a contractor. Right, a similar situation. I had consulted with someone, um, and and this issue came up, and there was discussion about who owned it. Well, you know, my contract didn't ever address that, and the person was like, "I own it and can use it however I want, and can you know sell it into since I developed it for you this piece, right, and other communities." So it was a big aha learning lesson for me. I now have that language in the contract, but I will tell you at the time, the um, attorney who advised me said, even though you have the language that your company owns it now, labor law will still err on the side of the, the consultant and the person who, because they're not a paid staff person, there's still a strong chance based on just kind of, you know, precedence and stuff what's been said. So all of this just basically to say, because this isn't legal advice, but like get somebody who's an expert in this to make sure this is spelled out the way it needs to be. And if you truly don't care if the consultant owns it, I mean, I do think you also have to think about those implications, right? Because to your point, Andy, some of what you brought up, but think about if this is, you know, if this is like material that you're going to use in some of your programming, what if that consultant went and resold it, uh to your competitors or to others doing the similar work to you in the market would you be okay with that like is this a unique identifier competitive advantage for your organization and if it is and you want it to be then this is an important thing to figure out from the get go
0: yeah an is going to be able to provide you with a bunch of other kinds of opportunities to do it so there's not it's not only you own it or i own it There are other ways to like license it perpetually for zero dollars and maybe make it creative commons so that so that you can use it and share it, but they can't sell it. Right. So so I had like one I did some work for somebody and that was kind of a sticking point is like I I trusted the person I was working with, but I didn't necessarily trust the other people that they were working with. So so the way we designed the, the license was that that person can use it for their own use, but they can't resell it. And if they change it, they have to get my permission first. So they're. So I'm not charging them for it, but they just have to check with me before they do something else with it. And that was for me. That was enough of a enough of a barrier that I didn't feel like all of a sudden I was going to see my own stuff coming back to me. So. Thanks everybody for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. For Stacey, I'm Andy Shurick. Uh, nonprofit everything is a is a production of the Alliance for Nevada nonprofits. Um, if you're not a member of the Alliance for Nevada nonprofits, please consider joining. That is uh, probably one of the best ways to support the podcast is to to participate in your state association. Um, there's information on the Nonprofit Everything website about how to get involved with Ann, or you can go to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits.org. We'll put a link. There's always a link in the show notes. Uh, You can get directly to them there. Uh, With that, thanks again for joining us, and we will see you in a couple of weeks.